Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Mike McPeak, and with me today is Julie Keel. Hello again. And Jeff Sire. Hello, everyone. Well, we're going to see if we can remember how to do this, because we've kind of had like about a month break, but that involved travels of different people, and Julie and Jeff going out to Nerdtacular and having a good time, and then they swung around the uh, the home base here of uh, mine and Clark and uh, camped out overnight. So we've been out having fun, but, you know, we got this podcast thing to, to do here. So Let's see if we remember how. I don't know. I have kind of a rat brain. We'll see how well, uh, how much I remember. But we, we've missed podcasting. We deserve spankings. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> whatever turns you crank, Jeff. <laughs> oh, maybe and, it's just, maybe it's just me. It's just you. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Go on and, about your business. I didn't say nothing anything. to see here. <laughs> And we we kind of figured since uh, you know there was traveling and stuff involved and didn't really have time to for everyone to sit down and do a movie and you know that um, take time to invest time in that we thought we'd do a special today and we uh, I kind of called it the state of sci-fi tech we talk about all this technology in the movies that we see well how much of it is actually translated into real life and you know we did you know a little research here and we come up with more things than i had actually imagined and looking at this list here i don't know if we're going to get through them all today or not but it's stunning actually how much of what is considered sci-fi technology is actually commonplace well, yeah, and let's keep in mind that the, where we're at right now with some of this technology is probably equivalent to the automobile back when, uh, if you look at the first automobiles built, you can you can look at it and tell that it's an automobile, but it pro- uh, doesn't have air conditioning, may not even have a windshield uh, or a top. Uh, you know, so you recognize it as a windshield, but compared to what we have today, there's uh, you know far. Uh, a long way in between. That's maybe where we're at with some of this uh, sci-fi tech now. It's uh, at the same place as the early stages like the Model T and some of those automobiles. Right. Yep, some of it is still early days, but some of it is remarkably sophisticated for the limited amount of time it's available. I mean, Jeff, you and I might be a great example of that. We were on the road, um, you know, <laughs> up in the middle of the mountains, and complaining because we couldn't get the world in the palm of our hands instantly, you know? Yeah. Really? Um, and the fact that that's an expectation, that you can go essentially out in the middle of nowhere and, um, you know, still be connected to friends back home, family, in an instant's notice. I mean, that's just, I, I mean, that that is such a, a science fiction concept that nowadays is just totally expected. Yeah. Um, in in some ways, we actually probably shouldn't be as surprised as we are that some of these things that that you see in sci-fi become reality, because that's the nature of invention. People have to dream things up, like uh, people have a dream or have an image, and then they work to get towards it and they achieve it. So, the person who's writing sci-fi and speculative fiction about the future is really not doing a whole lot different than somebody who's you know uh inventing things or like you know looking at a need and and uh and working then and then inventing it yeah there's an old principle that says mental creation precedes physical creation and 
it literally um, you, you hear interviews of scientists who say first off they were inspired by science fiction and secondly their entire careers were uh, around making it come true you know so yeah without science fiction to some extent science kind of you know flounders I think it doesn't have things that it's trying to create well and you know a lot of us grew up watching Star Trek and I was fortunate to you know actually talk to Rod Roddenberry for you know, all about five minutes and uh, of course I didn't say anything incredibly intelligent but I did look at him and blurt out that you know I, I want my Star Trek future and I want it now and I think you know us, uh, those of us growing up watching that kind of looked at that that's the way the world should be and you know I think we're trying to work towards that whereas before you know they were trying to dream up what the world is but I think for a lot of us we kind of have this vision and we're trying to make what we have fit that vision well since everything goes back to Star Trek <laughs> um, Star Trek was set literally 400 years in the future and we are now what 50 years out from it and it's incredible how much of the Star Trek technology is real I mean is we have communicators in the palm of our hands. We have pad devices um, and, and tablets. We have in-ear communications with, you know, Bluetooth technology. We have, heck, I, there's even recent articles about tractor beams and replicators. I mean, 3D printing is a form of replicator. Um, hyposprays exist. You know, sick bay beds. I don't know if the last time you've been in the hospital, but the only difference between a sick bay bed and what happens in a in a hospital room is the fact that hospital rooms have multiple separate devices and displays, whereas sick bay beds rolled it all into one. Um, and hello, medical technology people, make that so, please, dear God. Yeah. Um, well, in in some ways. Uh Modern hospital technology is far beyond what was in the original series. Oh yeah, like that sick bay bed. Like there, uh, like there's times when McCoy is you know around the corner and he hears a noise and he's got to go in and look at the look at the thing. Well, like they have those readouts at the nurses station, right? In ICU, you, they don't need to run down and look at the uh, the readout that that the uh, the monitors the person's hooked up to, right? So that's true, and there's a record of it and a printout of it as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's yeah we could go on just about the medical stuff here yeah. um, and, and in some ways like I know uh, particularly with uh, the cutting edge cancer treatments um, I just finished <clears throat> excuse me I just finished listening to the Steve Jobs uh, biography I listened to it on the audiobook on the way home and uh, they were talking about in you know towards the end of his life he had had the entire genome. Uh, mapped for his the kind of cancer that he had, and they were specifically tailoring treatments uh, genetically to that particular cancer. So, like that's pretty much as cutting edge as you can get, and that is probably you know that that alone is probably beyond anything you ever saw McCoy do in Star Trek. Well, the one trick McCoy did that we haven't yet duplicated is, uh, I believe it was uh, Star Trek III. For, anyway, he he gave, it's the one where they saved the whales, um, where he gave, uh, a, they, they came back in time and he gave a kidney patient a pill and suddenly they grew new kidneys. You know, they were cured of, of kidney right. failure. We haven't quite gotten there yet, but let me tell you, they're 3D printing kidneys and sure it might take surgery rather than popping a pill, but it's doggone close. 
Um, we're not that far away from that one either. So yeah, some of the stuff that uh, they they uh, portrayed medically, um, you know, Star Trek and other places too. Um, we are really, again, it's it's dream it up and science will make it happen. Yeah. There's a. I just ran across a YouTube video where it was basically showing exoskeletons, and this isn't Star Trek. You might call it uh, Iron Man or or something like that. Transformers. Or aliens. Aliens. Yeah. Whatever. Um, where you know basically people who are paralyzed uh, crawl into this you know set of legs that um, they they are walking with crutches, but they are walking up and down well, that, stairs included that 's how they uh, that was part of the opening uh, ceremonies for the World Cup was they had somebody who was in a uh, i believe it was from the waist down a bioskeleton that went out and kicked the soccer ball um, and these bioskeleton was has somehow connected to their nervous system and they have they normally have no use whatsoever of their legs, but they were they are now with this device able to walk. That's that's just insane. Matter of fact, I saw a headline just today, and I didn't even read the story. I, I need to go back and look at it about Google Glass is now being mind controlled. It's like wow, that's just creepy. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, yeah, let's not start with Google and creepy because remember the robots that we looked up. I forget which episode we were doing, but and then the next day, a uh, Google turned around bought Boston Dynamics, which built those things. But right. There's a lot of that stuff that uh, yeah, we're just on the edge of a uh, a lot of this, and right now it's just it's kind of a kind of a wild west kind of a playground type thing where we can imagine a lot of things it's just trying to pull it all together and make it work well you know it seems the two driving things behind you know scientific advances we'll call them or sci-fi tech coming true is sci-fi i mean again i will i will credit sci-fi with you know in, uh stimulating the imaginations and and motivating scientists to actually and scientists meaning anybody i mean scientists meaning you know kids in the kitchen with vinegar and baking soda um you know to make that stuff come true uh, but the other one's mi- uh, military um, from everything from battlefield wounds to you know exoskeletons for military use as well, um, armor plating and cloaking devices and uh, you know well weapons, energy weapons, um, all kinds of, of things are, are pushing things for drones. Drones are a big thing in the military right now, which you know are literally uh, 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 you know something that. There, everything goes back to Star Trek. I can't. I should look up. The, I didn't think it would come up, or I would have looked it up ahead of time. But I do remember one Star Trek TNG episode where, basically, there were um, all the teenagers were so busy playing what it, what seemed to them video games. Essentially, they were drones, like mechanic, like uh, transformer type things that they were operating. That they had never, you know, left their little. Well, essentially, wounds up their mother's basements and uh, had actually ever talked to or touched another human being and or another, you know, uh, member of the opposite sex type of thing. And and um, that's something that they um, talk about nowadays with with drone pilots that uh, the disconnect between what they're actually doing and and their experience of it. So that's something that's uh, you know, reality is stranger than fiction, perhaps or. Right. Art imitates life, or life imitates art. One or the other. Well, and, and you know, you said military, and I guess uh, 
space would act uh, the, the space program is actually kind of a subset of the military more or less um, but you know that pushed a lot of our uh, innovations too because the the miniaturization and um, you know I keep uh, I <laughs> We, we were in the grocery store the other day, and we actually saw that they had Tang in the grocery store. I haven't seen that stuff in, in ages. But, you know, uh, I think the um, space program has spurred a lot of uh, uh, thinking along the lines of computers and miniaturization. You know, people always say that the um, smartphone in your pocket is smarter than the computer that sent men, uh, men to the moon. So, uh, you know, I think that's kind of spurred the, the computer technology and a lot of those things along the way. You know, one of the greatest pieces of technology I've seen recently, and this is my biased you know, perspective of it, is a camping stove that doubles as a USB charger for your phone. <laughs> I've got that. I know. Isn't that the yeah. most opposite thing ever? I mean, yeah. you boil your water and charge your phone at the same time. I mean, I actually, brilliant. That's, the, the company is called BioLite, and I just, yep. they just did a second Kickstarter for a bigger stove. It's got a 21-inch uh, circular cooking surface. And uh, yeah, like it's it's you know, and the bigger the the small one that I have, the camping one, is not uh, strong enough to charge a an iPad. But I believe the sec the the next one is pretty much big enough to to charge anything. So yep. so long as it be, can can be connected with a USB. Yeah, I just you know speaking of technology and and you know um, need I guess or d- desire. Um, to make things happen, you know, I need my technology, and I'm camping. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Let's boil water and charge our USB devices. But they actually developed those for the third world. Yeah, yeah, with the yeah. idea that uh, uh, you know, because so many places in Africa, cell phones are very, very prevalent. Yep. Uh, because they didn't have the uh, infrastructure for landlines, so once cell phones came out, they really took off. So you have people who are living in mud huts who have cell phones. So, but they have no way. It's very difficult for them to charge them. So, this was a way to provide them with a way to charge their uh, their cell phones. Yeah. No, I think it's just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, it's, and that's not one that I think I ever saw in science fiction. Or at least, not that I'm aware of. But no, because like uh, I think with with most science fiction, like if you go back to I can't think of the name of it, and I don't think we've done it on the show, but it, it's a a movie that came out just prior to World War II, so it's about 1938, I think. And there's a tremendous number of things that they predict. They predict television, uh, like uh, uh, interstate-type freeways. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But when you watch it, it's almost, it's 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 so funny because there's there's some things that you can see, like they didn't have television at the time, uh, or anything you know really like television, and they. They show television almost a version of what we have today, but then in some other ways, you know, they never get a hundred percent. So in some other ways, they're like way off, and you know, you know, they, people don't dress like that, people don't act, you know, that way. But then in these, you know, few points, yeah, they were almost dead on. That's what's always amazes me is the, the people, authors, you know, filmmakers, whatever that can predict things decades in advance right. and, and nail it. I mean, and there's a number of authors who have done that. 
And sometimes they do a, you know, a very good job of nailing multiple things. And like you say, and other times they get one or two things right and one or two things wrong. And so you never know which it's going to be. Um, but the fact that you can guess anything four decades down the road just blows my mind because I can't right. tell you what's going to happen you know, three months from now. But I think one of the places where it's very, very hard or almost impossible for sci-fi, anybody writing sci-fi to predict things is where there's a like a complete paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Like not that there was a lot of sci-fi before the automobile, but like when you look at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or the you know these few things that uh, or the you know H.G. Wells or um, nobody predicted the car, right? Or if they did, it was kind of this nebulous thing that a few people would have. Likewise, there's very very few. Uh, works of sci-fi from like the 60s or early 70s where they predict the anything even remotely like the internet and certainly nothing that would show us the internet that we have today like you know shopping online and ordering something uh and it comes you know comes to your house like just a few days later from china or you know like there's not that kind of thing or even like a something like a, a, a Skype call or something like that like if they had predicted the internet there was still like uh, you know phone system that they were that you were using it wouldn't be over that so like anytime that there's a huge paradigm shift it I, I would think it's almost impossible to you know to really even extrapolate on like even when we started to get the internet in the in the mid 90s and it started to become widespread nobody saw you know what we have today coming no what uh, two comments that come to mind on that one first off even on star trek the communicator you know if you compare that to a cell phone it's not a comparison in star no. trek the compute communicator was you know the sole um venue was you know away teams and you didn't use them you know like from one side of the ship to the other and you didn't everybody didn't have one in their pocket that they were constantly referring to which is like everyday life nowadays so even there we kind of missed it just a little bit and then what was the second one i knew that was going to (laughs) happen uh shoot it's gone Oh, I know what it was. The book Hyperion that we're working on. We're, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It's killing me. I know. Jeff Jeff is still stuck in the early stages, and I will totally agree with him that the early parts of the first book are really a slog to get through. Then about halfway through, it really picks up, and by the second book, it's like, oh, my God. Anyway, but in Hyperion, they do predict the web, and I had to check the date of, of uh, publication of that, and it was pre World Wide Web days. It wasn't pre-internet days. It was like the the late eighties, I think, somewhere in there. But they, in Hyperion, they predict the web and the flow of information and the massive quantities of data available. And oh, and that's where it gets interesting because then they talk about how it's being manipulated and stuff. And oh my gosh, Google and NSA. But anyway, um, so. Yeah, some of that. But then again, there's a whole other case where, sure, they got that little piece of it somewhat right in a very nebulous way. And then there's tons of other things in there that, you know, they don't, or at least not to the present time, at least, have gotten right. So, you know, who knows? You mean I shouldn't be holding my breath for a flying tree ship? Yeah, or a skimmer. Yeah, you okay. just you just hold hmm. off on those, or or floating aisles on uh, 
on a Maui covenant. So, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, or shrikes. Anyway, <laughs> but that's a future episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Yeah, we don't want to give uh, tip our hands too much here, and especially since uh, not everyone's quite read the book yet. So. Yeah, so for those of like, you listening, like <laughs> read the book. Yeah, Jeff, I know it's hard. We're gonna we're gonna keep on you though, because it's worth it. When you get to the second book, especially, it's so worth it. Yeah, yeah, we're taskmasters. Taskmasters, we'll make sure you stay on on track there. <laughs> yep. So, oh, th- thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, let's see. What else is out there as far as science fiction technology goes? Um, communications is one that, uh, you know, we take so much of that for granted. We watched Gravity, uh, you know, I suppose a couple months now. Um, and there was a comment made in there when, when the debris field hit and knocked out um, half of North America just lost their Facebook, you know. Um, there's so much of communications that we take for granted, you know, GPS technology and, um, you know, cell phones and mobiles. Um, I just sat here and watched the World Cup uh, on my Apple TV. Um, So, you know, there's a part of that is mind-blowing if when you actually sit down and think about the fact that little electrons are moving at the speed of light all the way around the planet bouncing off stuff and orbiting the earth. I mean, you sit down and think about the actual physical how it works, your head hurts. But the other side of that is, you know, how kind of fragile that whole thing is. You know, gravity is a great example where, you know, you knock a few communication satellites out of whack and bam, suddenly, you know, stuff that we depend on, you know, say like radar um, for weather predictions or something, you know, goes wacky and or disappears and then what? So, Well, I, I know at my job that uh, we've talked before about the last time the Earth was hit by a really big solar flare, I think was in the 60s, and it was powerful enough that it knocked out ele- some electrical relays. But now everything's computerized. Like if we were hit by a, a similar solar flare today, it would be frying satellites. It would be, uh, it would be frying like you know electronics, like unshielded computers. Like it would take out a lot of stuff. And in some ways, you know, like we're so much further ahead. But because our technology is is almost in some ways more fragile, we're more susceptible to. Um, to the drastic effects that something like that would have on us. You know, and the flip side of that is I distinctly remember being um, in the year 1999, being in San Francisco and cutting up to the Muir Woods for the day, and the Y2K threat was looming, and we were checking out of the gift shop at Muir Woods, and everybody, you know, casual conversation was, you know, what do you do? And we are talking about, you know, the Y2K bug and how it could potentially, you know, wipe out everything, like kind of like you just described, Mike, or Jeff. And um, and at Muir Woods Gift Store, they, you know, you wanted to pay by credit card, and rather than scanning it or, or you know, the usual... S- punch in the number type things um, they got out that old machine that goes ka-ching ka-ching you know and takes an imprint of your credit card it's embossed for a reason 
and and I looked at that and went, you know, Y2K can hit, and somehow we are going to get by. Um, <laughs> as much as all of the technologies add to the things that we can do, I suspect that if we lost a bunch of them, worlds would be disrupted, lifestyles would be impacted severely, but life would go on. You know, sure. we'd figure it out. Everybody would do their best to cope with whatever situation was in front of them. And obviously knowing that life is going to go on and, you know, milk's got to get to the grocery store. And, oh, gosh, I guess the refrigerators aren't working there. Well, then milk's going to have to get buried in the ground somehow to keep it cool or something. You know, whatever the uh, the, the solution might be. But um, we do, you know, our current economy is based on the technology we have currently. And if something impacted that, obviously it would impact the economy and it would impact people's lives. But I don't know. I guess I've got too much faith that we're resilient enough to, to cope with whatever's thrown our way. I've been through too many natural disasters, perhaps. <laughs> you mean uh, the the Postman movie may not uh, come to fruition then? Or? Yeah, well, that was a natural disaster <laughs> of another type, right? <laughs> Yeah, we won't get into that one. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite direction of where we're going here. But um, yeah, you know, you you look at all the, the the technology that we have and the way our society is based on it. But you know, I think we are making you know strides forward in the way we improve things. I think you know maybe if we do you know work on it, uh, hopefully we're smart enough. We're building in um, you know backup systems, so if one thing fails, we still have the other. We may put a lot of faith into like the satellite system, but hopefully we'll keep the the landlines around so that we have that to fall back on. So I'm I'm hoping that you know the guys in charge of all this stuff have you know redundant backups um, somewhere in uh, in the back of their mind when they're, when they're designing all this. Oh. Well, look at what happened in the uh, in was it two thousand and two or two thousand and three when we had the uh, on the east coast when we had the blackout right mm-hmm. like the an electrical grid system is is all like a, in some ways it's like a big house of cards and if you re- remove you know a couple of the central you know pillars everything kind of collapses in on itself um, especially if the grid happens to be at capacity which is what happened during that blackout because if you're running at capacity stuff doesn't have like the electronic switching doesn't have a a chance to kind of save itself and open breakers before things get pulled down so yeah and another example where people just coped (laughs) yeah yeah but (laughs) it did affect things oh gosh i can show you people coped for a few days and that's uh, you know so long as you you can get stuff back which you know, there's a very good chance you you would be able to, and yep. there's no major major problems. Yep. No, they just there was a population boom nine months later because they run out of things to do. And a dip in the economy during that time, without a doubt. But you know, yep. again, somehow we managed. You know, people and, and get all, people in Toronto get all freaked out by all those little dots in the sky at night. You know that they haven't seen for years. <laughs> yeah, those things called stars. Stars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> kind of like nightfall, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, we did hit a milestone here. Was it yesterday? I think. Um, I think it was July twelfth, where the International Space Station passed five thousand days of uh, having human consecutive days of having humans aboard. Oh um, wow! That's fourteen years. 
that's a, I didn't realize that it had been 14 years straight through. But it makes sense. I mean, why would you have the International Space Station without a crew? I mean, why would you leave it empty? So once it's up and running, you always have people there. They come, they go, and they come back maybe, but it, it's it's staffed. So 14 years. Yeah, that's kind of the we're still dipping our uh you know our toe into the uh the sea of space out there we're, you know I, at some point i'm sure we're going to have to leave this rock and go out into the universe there and you know this is this is the only thing we got going you know big scale right now to do that i mean you've got like spacex and some of those others but i think you know a lot of that is just going to be um uh, I don't know, like space tourism or something, but you know the ISS is going to be the one that will keep us uh, keep keep men in space and keep us moving in that direction. You know, they actually just discovered a planet that's like 16 light years away that looks a lot like Earth. That's, that seems to have a lot of properties just like Earth. It's like wow, there's the first leap. That's going to be fun. The first they, thing they saw was an eyeball in a telescope looking back at them. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> With a, that with would a be a little creepy. Yellow yeah. mohawk and a little ray gun, right? Anyway, mm-hmm. Marvin the Martian. Um, just looking at a, a report from, I guess it's the Huffington Post, about some of the technologies of, of Star Trek and science fiction. And um, they're starting to talk about um, wearable technology, which is supposed to be the big thing that's supposed to be announced this fall with... IOS 8 or something or iWatch or smartphone I don't know what they all got planned but uh, this um, article talks about you know the fact that medical sensors are are uh, suggested to be a large part of, of that wearable technology and as much as everybody thinks about something you wear on your wrist it says um, think about what it would mean to have clothing that was, I mean, truly wearable technology. And I have to admit, I've spent too much time in hospitals where i got to believe there's a better way. Rather than those god-awful gowns they give you, put on something like, you know, a Star Trek jumpsuit that actually can read your pulse, your temperature. How about, like, the evaporation of your body, whether you're sweating or not, um, you know, the weight, all of that stuff, whether you're sleeping, whether, you know, heart rhythms, all of that uh, respiratory, you know, all that stuff could come just from the clothes you're wearing. None of this put crap on your fingers or shove needles in you. Just put your clothes, you know, wear this medical shirt or medical jumpsuit, and it will read all of those vital signs for you as you're laying on the sick bed, sick bay bed that's got all the displays over your head. I mean, that's, Mm. make that happen. And so you don't have to get woke up in the middle of the night to give you a sleeping pill or something like that. Because right. if it's in contact with your skin, it could even like administer, you know, um, maybe by some means of a hypospray or something, but administer your medications and such so that you wouldn't, uh, you know, the nurse wouldn't have to come in to, to wake you up to do whatever needs to be done. And the same, I don't know, like the beds nowadays have those like air things and and things they wrap around your legs to compress them to keep you from getting blood clots in your legs from laying around too much or, or uh, bed sores. So, you mean, again, imagine that as more uh, a function of your clothing than as a function of the bed you're laying on. Um, so it's, yeah, the medical, I have to admit, uh, my mother's elderly and, and we're getting way too many uh, medical device lessons recently, but good God, there's an industry r- ripe for disruption because... Yeah, my mom does not weigh a hundred pounds, 
and she has no strength to do lots of things, including open pill bottles, much less fill liquid oxygen tanks. And, you know, the medical technology that she has has this 500-pound oxygen, liquid oxygen tank in her bathroom that she's supposed to apply, I don't know, 200 pounds of pressure to fill. She can't do it. Um, There's no way she can do it. So the idea that, you know, talking about designing... Uh, medical technologies for for the customers who are actually going to be using them, um, you know, and and making some of these science fiction technologies part of that, you know, uh, for instance, you know, the wearable technology we we're just talking about. I just saw a, a video of the exoskeletons, and and they had essentially a backpack that they were wearing, which I assume was the power pack that was you know full of batteries that was operating the the skeleton for them. You know, I, I can I could see where um, some science fiction uh, technologies would be useful in that type of of I don't know application I guess where you know it's a backpack of, of stuff that you would have with you kind of like you know even in Star Trek everything goes back to Star Trek you know the away team would always pack their little man purses of stuff that they would take down and and uh, have the equipment that they needed so well you know you were talking about medical uh, technology I got to thinking about when we watched that movie uh Robot and Frank, um, mm. where the guy had the uh, basically a, a robot, or you know, at, maybe at some point in an Android, uh, a uh, a companion there because he had Alzheimer's and ha- needed somebody to kind of help and keep track. Uh, yeah, keep track of him. So you know, something like that that could uh, like assist with, like you said, uh, having to handle two hundred pound oxygen tanks, or if somebody is uh, not you know real mobile, even if they did have the exoskeleton, they might need help getting into that, or you know to uh, when they're resting, that they uh, the robot could uh, make sure that it's charged up and everything is in in place. Just kind of uh, you know uh, robot assistance or uh, robot uh, elderly care or you know something like that. Well, and then Terminator comes to mind too. There's a certain amount of technologies in the Terminator series, and when you say robots, we always kind of get the Terminator thing is out there as well as the Frank thing, I guess, or the Robot and Frank thing. Um, so we've had this discussion of the Uncanny Valley before too. Um, you know how far the um, science technology, science fiction reality, I don't know, goes. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's a limit to it that, you know, that we say go this far and no further. Um, Or if we just will just, you know, keep, keep it going, moving wonder. I don't know. I mean, we, I don't think we've gotten there yet. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Well then, you know, I thought of, we've talked about artificial intelligence too. If you start to put the, uh, uh, capability in these things to adapt and to grow and to um, deal with whatever, situ- whatever situation comes along. At what point do they become, you know, sentient, or do we start to consider them that? And because I got to thinking about, there would be a parallel there between like you know slavery and androids. At what point do we uh, stop thinking of them as servants or you know something there to uh, take care of us, and they actually become? We start to consider them their own. Uh, beings of some sort. You know, now that I think about it, we may have one example of where we've crossed that line, and that might be Google Glass. 
um, as much as it sounds really, really cool, when you think of Google Glass, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is not Star Trek technologies, but the word glass hole. Um, so it's it's one of those things that has getting, gotten close enough to that line of what we think is a cool technology versus what we think is creepy. Um, and so, you know, as a society, I guess, we're still trying to figure out where that line is and, and how we define it and, and what crosses that line. So, yeah, I suspect we'll have more things like that. You know, in the NSA and the big data stuff and all, you know, people collecting all kinds, you know, the stuff that's readily available about any particular individual, you don't want to know. You really don't want to know exactly how much anybody can find out about everything. And I don't care if you pay in cash and live in the woods. They can still find it out. So, right. you know, it doesn't really matter if you try to, to hide or not. Well, I, I think there's going to be some awfully big discussions uh, coming up, probably not in the far, uh, not too far distant future, about what does constitute privacy. You know, how much intrusion are we willing to accept, or you know, are we going to have to change the way that we feel about things? Uh, are we going to have to allow you know certain behaviors into our life, even if we don't want to? You're short of going out and living in the tree somewhere. And like I say, even there, we can't necessarily escape because there's still satellites that can uh, look down and spy on you. So we're, we're never going to completely get away from technology and all the stuff that it brings to our, our lives. You know, and that's interesting, too, the, the concept of privacy and the way it's portrayed in science fiction. Is it? I mean, sort of. Because, um, yeah, I mean, think about that. Because, like, Star Trek, sure, you have your own personal quarters, but, you know, the computer is right there. And if somebody says, you know, locate such and such a person, they'll say such and such a person is in their quarters, you know. And then they'll say, are they alone or are they having dinner? I mean, literally, you can ask them whatever you want, and the computer will tell you. So, you know, the idea of privacy is somewhat shot there. Um, the uh, pre uh, Terminator series that I just mentioned too. There ain't no privacy there. Um, so, you know, there's so many of the science fiction properties that basically assume there is no pri I mean, that's just the backdrop. There is no privacy. Everybody well, knows where everybody's at all the time. I think it was taken to, you know, an extreme in Star Trek with the Borg because they had no privacy. They yeah, were, that's true. They were all... Well, they they uh, had no individuality either, so... Right. Well, I think one of them said that, you know... Um, or maybe it was Seven of Nine, I can't remember which one. one there was a uh, character that was part of the Borg and said, you know, it was just a, a a presence that was always there. And when they were taken out of the Borg, then it was, um, you know, this feeling of, you know, being alone or something like that. But Sounds like Nertacular. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and now it's all starting to go back to Nertacular. Yeah, there we go. Ah. <laughs> but, yeah, there, there's, yeah, I, mm, I don't know. Well, and even like I said, you know uh, what it const uh, what constitutes you know a, a human being and you know that kind because of, as we we start to give our devices more intelligence and the ability to adapt, that's going to be another discussion. At what point do they um, are we looking at, at our machines as slaves uh, versus them? You know being their own, you know, being, you know, da uh, data is, you know, the prime example here. Um, they had the the one uh, episode about what uh, was it? The, what? Measure, measure of a man. Measure of a man, measure of a man yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, there, there was that debate, and, you know, at what point are we going to have that? Um, uh, I, I honestly don't think that's 
really going to be an issue? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I think that is one of those things that, uh, you know, 30 years down the road, like, just just because you develop an intelligent machine doesn't mean that it's going to have a personality. Like, uh, it'll be just like an assistant or something like that. Like, I don't think uh, it, it's not going to be I – I don't th- – I I don't foresee us building machines that are going to strive for uh, to be autonomous, right? I, I think that's something that that uh, we uh, like in the past thirty you know thirty or forty years and up until now uh, have speculated on, but I you know I just don't see that. I wonder if that will fall under like the Google Glass syndrome, where it's just so creepy that. Yeah. People will just go, uh-uh, uh-uh, not, not going to happen, you know. And, and it will be um, somewhat, uh, we may not even have to be outlawed. It, it could just be shunned so badly that it's not feasible, you know. Yeah. Segways come to mind. I mean, <laughs> if you're, <laughs> unless you're, you know, these, these things are supposed to change the world, but unless you're going on a tour of a large city, I mean, you've never seen a Segway. Cops use them in malls, perhaps, but, you know, that's about it. Um, they're not that, that big of a deal. You know, speaking of, of autonomous machines, though, as you are mentioning that, self-driving cars are going to be interesting. Those are going to happen shortly, and I suspect yeah. that they will happen quite rapidly. Speaking I, of, of technologies that could be paradigm shifts. I, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, because I just saw an article today talking about like 14,000 crashes were occurred um, recently, and I, I don't remember the time frame. In the state <laughs> of Minnesota alone, 63 deaths alone I, because of I distracted driving. I honestly don't think that will... I don't think that is what will drive it. I think it will I, I, because I of think it's convenient. Driving. Yeah, that's think, just it. People would yeah. rather because, fart around on their phones. Because than drive. even though even though there's fourteen thousand accidents in Minnesota, people aren't saying, "Well, I'm not going out there because it's too dangerous." People right. don't think that way. Nope. But people think, "Man, I'd sooner read a book." Yep, that's it. <laughs> and that's I think what will drive it. I agree. I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree because we right now. I mean, the the gist of the article too is like the 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 survivors of these. Distracted driving deaths think that laws need to be changed. I'm like, you know, honestly, the laws are fine. What needs to change is people's behavior. Is people's behavior going to change? No. So bring on the self-driving cars so we can all sit there and, and do Snapchat with whomever on our yeah. way to work and, and not have it kill people in the process. And that's when the self-driving cars will really, you know. Well, I saw an interview with Elon Musk uh, a while ago, and he was talking about the electric car. And he said the problem with the electric car up until he de- he uh, started Tesla was he said they didn't make sexy cars. Nobody wants to drive those things because they looked like crap. They performed like crap, and so his thing was kind of the uh, the Henry Ford thing of like I want to make an electric car so good people will like you know climb over each other to buy it because it'll it's going to be a sports car. Pretty much what he's doing. Yeah, that's exactly what he did. Yep, and you know he he looked at well you know. It's going to be uh, direct drive DC motors. What do they do? They have tremendous amounts of torque. That's what you need in a sports car. We'll make sports cars. Well, but you know, I'll tell you. I think what what will really drive it. It won't be convenience. It won't be safety. It's going to be commerce. Could you imagine? Uh, you know, we got right now. You got long haul truckers, cross country truckers. Could you imagine uh, having those self driven? And you'd still maybe. Uh, you know, one scenario that I heard was, or maybe even like a UPS truck. 
because then the vehicle could be driving. You'd still have a person in there, but they would be able to sort packages, get their delivery set up. They'd be able to get organized while the vehicle is driving on the route. Yeah. Uh, and I think when you when you get business involved and they see that it, there's a potential to make money uh, or you know or do something like that, because uh, I I think you know the internet was cool and everything, but I think once business realized that it could make money on it, that's when it really kind of took off, and that's when you know it really started to grow along with all the artistic and everything you know other aspects of it. But it was that's, when people realized there was money that's when that's it, yeah, and you hit on uh, it there because the internet existed for what. 20, 30 years before the World Wide Web did, and as soon as the World Wide Web came along, where you could introduce branding um, and graphics and visuals, that's when it totally boomed. See, uh, see, I'm kind of with you, Mike, because like one of the things that I read when earlier uh, earlier today, when I was looking at this stuff, I saw the self-driving cars, and it was the article that I read was saying, oh, you know, this is this is kind of scary because something like one uh i think it was seven percent of all jobs in north america relies on driving so taxi cab drivers truckers delivery drives but when you think about it because they were saying oh these people will be out of a job i i'm kind of like what you're saying mike in that i don't think they will be out of a job like i think if you're a trucker you're like okay well now instead of you having a logbook there's no logbook anymore because the truck drives itself but you're there as the administrative guy, like you sleep while the truck goes from like you know Toronto to Montreal, you get up when you get to Montreal, you you fill out the paperwork, you unhook, you do all your business end of the stuff there, get back in the truck, program your new destination, go back to sleep, or you know do do paperwork or You're whatever. The- and the same thing with the UPS driver, you're walking around in the back of the truck, organizing your next uh, thing. The truck stops, you hop out here, sign back in the truck, next stop. You're the train conductor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just just because you develop uh, self-driving vehicles doesn't mean those people are out of jobs. They just move to different sections yep. of the delivery industry. Yep. Right? It's like secretaries. You know, at one time when we were using typewriters, you know, God forbid word processors would come along. Well, you know what? Word processors came along and secretaries, we still have secretaries. So, um, right. yeah, jobs will shift. Yeah. But the, job will, will, the job will not be the same. Right. But it doesn't mean that uh, those people are going to be on the street. Right? Plus, somebody's got to fix these, you know, self-driving yeah. cars and manage the systems that govern them and build the systems that govern them and all of See, the things I, that go around that. I think one of the big challenges will be like when these things do get in, in an accident, who pays? That's the big that's <laughs> the be, insurance. Yeah, that's already yeah. hit the. That's already been wrestled with. I think there was a crash in either Nevada or California that kind of brought some of those legal issues uh, uh, to the forefront. And so, like, yeah, they're wrestling. Does it go with that. back to the the person who wrote the software? Does it go back to the company who yep. who made the car? Does it go back to the owner of the car? Does it you know? fall on the road structure itself? Because if they're being guided by paint, you know, or something, yeah. and the paint wasn't done properly, or or wasn't bright enough, or what, you know, all kinds or, of questions. There. Or if it if if the accident is an automated car uh, and a uh, one that's manned, is the manned car automatically at fault? Or right, know, like, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. So all those you know transport folks can get law degrees and sort that out. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I got thinking about, uh, I don't know, you know, it's not completely automated. You still have people there, but like the airline industry, you have, um, 
you know, once you get up to altitude, you can certainly put it into autopilot. But I think aren't they doing a few more computer-controlled uh, landings and takeoffs? So, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I would assume that there's been a plane crash involving some of that. I would assume that they've already, you know, kind of started to wrestle with those kind of um, issues there already. So, yeah, I think there's some there. We probably just don't know about it. Sure. And it's going to be a lot of just defining and redefining of stuff. Well, you know, lawyers, they're always going to be around because they're always going to find something that needs to be, you know, sued with, uh, sued about or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Hey, Shakespeare talked about them, so. Yeah. yeah. That was 400 years ago, so I'm sure we are uh, got at least 400 years more of lawyers. <laughs> I suspect so. Uh, and we still haven't found the solution for them yet either. I don't know that they're <laughs> going to be automated or... Uh, our apologies uh, to any lawyers who are listening. I'm sure you're you're not the ones that we're talking about. <laughs> no, the ones that you know get my goat are the ones that uh, have the cheesy commercials or you know um, uh, uh, class action lawsuits uh, for you know dubious purposes. Anyway, we're here to talk technology, not lawyers. But uh, you know, I got to you know thinking about all this stuff that we've been talking about uh, thus far, and you know, it, it's about. And, you know, I guess that's what science fiction has tried to do is you know, envision a better future where human beings don't have to be doing so much of the manual labor. We um, you know, make our lives a little bit easier, be able to get to know one another more. And I think the goal for all of this is that we're trying to move in the direction that we can be more productive, more creative, um, and hopefully by communicating with one another, uh, you know, we can bring – you know, I, I hate to sound like Miss America here and say, you know, we'll have world peace, but... Enough of your touchy-feely talk. I hate people. <laughs> well, there's that segment of the uh, population, too, where they can just get their own little... They can get a spaceship and go off in their own little uh, corner of the uh, universe and not bug Sounds anybody. Good. They can go colonize Mars. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but, you know, I think the per, uh, what you know science fiction in, has been envisioning for years is this kind of world where... Um, we you know we made life better for everyone and and doing that uh, we you know we keep improving the world so you know I think overall it's I'm it I'm looking forward to a brighter future where you know a lot of these things come to come to pass and you know like I said we got this list here in front of us and we haven't even oh, I think we got what maybe half of them we haven't even hit like. Uh, uh, the holodeck and warp drive and transporters and you know a lot of that stuff is like I said uh, that's in the Model T stages right now where we're just trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. But um, we have a lot of you know, a lot of things that's been um, imagined for us. Uh, we just kind of as a society we have to kind of figure out how to bring all this stuff to fruition, how to develop it. You know, we know uh, how a warp drive works. We just have to, you know, make it make it happen. Figure out the uh, physics of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that silly, inconsequential stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the easy part. The the only thing that concerns me a little bit is that one of the reasons everything goes back to Star Trek is that Star Trek is one of the few. I'm gonna few. Um, positive depictions of the future. It seems to me that the trend over time, you know, in the 50s, the future was going to be this great, fantastic place where everything was shiny and clean and perfect and, and you know, all those um, future, uh, you know, kitchen of the future type things and, and Star Trek and whatever. And since then, a lot of the science fiction that's come out and almost... All of the stuff that I keep coming across, at least, seems to pick 
picture or portray a darker future than that. Things going wrong, which I'm okay with because that's how you wrestle with some of the big issues. You know, like we were just talking about driverless cars and who's liable. You know, one of the ways you wrestle with that prior to landing in court is you write a science fiction book about it. You know, so um, I understand that that needs to be done. But I also... Worried or concerned isn't the word, but um, you know somebody's got to be painting those those good pictures out there too. That that's going to encourage and motivate and inspire the next generation of scientists. And I'm not quite sure who's doing that right now. So, well, we we kind of need both really because the dystopian uh, future at least that gives us a chance to imagine what might go wrong. So maybe we could avoid that. But we do need the positive stuff so that we can. We keep moving forward, and we can envision the stuff that will, you know, change our lives, change the future, change the world. Maybe uh, it's the comic book ones right now. Maybe it, I mean, maybe that's who's carrying that burden. Believe it or not, as silly as that might sound, but they do kind of talk about, you know, the good things, you know, the heroes that win. Yeah, and you know, I think we could, you know, debate this for you know quite a while longer because, like I said, we hardly touched our list, but you know. Um, did, did any of you have anything you want to, you know, kind of bring uh, uh, forward here to kind of wrap this up? Or, you know, how do you kind of see the fu- uh, science fiction and, and the future? That's, <laughs> that's a very open-ended question. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, shall we begin again? <laughs> um, I, I, w- I would say that I think the, the rate of scientific development and the rate of change has only kind of s- continued to snowball through the 20th century and I think that's going to continue. I think things are going to change faster and faster um, and, uh, and I honestly think that uh, the divisions between countries are probably going to decrease over time so that uh, kind of like you're more a citizen of the world than of Canada, the United States or whatever, that uh, that I think movement between countries and things like that uh, is going to become, over time, more and more easier. And, uh, and that uh, kind of, maybe not conflicts between countries, I think maybe conflicts between uh, idea, like a, kind of like a economic ideas and stuff like that will probably be more pl- prevalent than than actually conflicts between or conventional wars between between countries uh maybe religious wars will be uh more but uh yeah that would be my personal prediction i think the rate of change is only going to get faster and uh that uh kind of the emphasis will be kind of on the individual going forward I think we're probably going to have another paradigm shift before the end of my lifetime. And what that is, I don't know. Because those paradigm shifts, as we've experienced them even over the last 150 years, they didn't show up overnight. Okay, maybe the iPhone showed up overnight. But, um, you know, like the interstate system, that was a slow thing. I mean, first off, there were roads, and then they decided to, you know, pass a law, and then it took 50 years to actually get it built. But it has had major impacts on so many things. You know, and the same with the internet. Sure, the internet started in the 60s, and the World Wide Web was born in the, what, 90s, and, you know, um, and here we are today. Um, So it's not like these paradigm shifts 
happen instantaneously. But I suspect that we're probably got some of those things um, happening right now. Maybe it's the wearable technology. Maybe it's uh, driverless cars. Maybe it's, um, you know, I don't know, neural implants. Maybe it's Google Glass being mind-controlled. I don't know. But I think some of those things are probably out there already, that in 10 or 15 or 20 years, we're going to look back and go, you know, those have had one heck of a big impact on, on everyday life. Yeah, and I think, or, you know, or maybe it might even be, there might be some, uh, and I, I still hope that they're around because they always kind of fuel in, uh, invention, but the garage inventors that yeah. uh, are working on the, the next big thing that, like you say, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, something like that is what's going to, you know, something that uh, no one else has thought of yet except maybe a small handful of people is going to be the thing that it's going to change our our world. The Zephram Cochrans of the world because it all goes back to Star Trek. Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> Um, and I think the other thing you know that the future is going to hold for us is that it will uh, you know like like Jeff said with the the internet and everything it will be uh, yeah hopefully less nation oriented and more individual oriented uh, and also holding individuals uh, responsible for what they do but also you know rewarding them uh, so that you know maybe we can get away from you know uh, governments dictating how we live our lives and we. In, as individuals, it dictate it, and um, and like I say, we're all held responsible. But we all get to interact with each other, and because there's been a lot, you look over the history of the world. There's been a lot of uh, coercion done by you know governments for the the benefit, uh, quote unquote, of the people, or maybe of certain people. But you know, you know, a lot of the things we've seen, in especially in the last few years with the internet, about being able to undercut. Uh, uh, governments and hold them accountable more so than they have been in the past. I, I'm thinking that it's going to move us forward into a you know a, a better, f- hopefully a better future where you know people are respected and uh, are treated a little bit more fairly. Future's coming. Make it so. We can all uh, hope. Yeah, and uh, as you say, make it so. I also wanted to throw out there the fact that today, as we record this, is Patrick Stewart's birthday, otherwise known as Jean Luc Picard Yay. of. Uh, Star Trek fame. So we wished him, uh, I think uh, I looked it up, I think it's his 73rd birthday today. So happy birthday, Captain Picard. Sexiest 70-year-old I know of. Okay, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) And before we uh, wrap things up here, um, we wanted to put a special thanks to to Joe Gates. Um, Oh, gosh, yes, we do. Massive tackle hugs. Uh, Because I, uh, when Jeff and Julie were out to Nerdtacular, um, I saw these. Uh, I was watching Twitter because I wasn't able to go, and so I'm just watching what they're doing out there, living vicariously through them in their Twitter feed. And I saw one of the pictures pop up there, and they had all these uh, flasks with a leather wrap around it, with um, all the names of the different podcasts in the Frog Pants Network. And I got looking, and I'm going, "Hey, that one back there in the corner, that looks like ours. That looks like Sci-Fi Tech Talk, even though we're not part of the Frog Pants Network." And I'm going, one, two, th- there's three of them back there. So I was kind of hoping that uh, when we m- uh, met up at my place here, one of them would show up here. And, you know, by golly, it did. And I'm s- got it sitting up there on my shelf looking at it right now. And I just think that's the coolest thing in the world. A nice little leather, leather wrap around a, a flask with our logo on it. And I just 
unfortunately, it's a flask. I can't exactly take it to school and show it off because, you know, flasks have a, you know, connotation to them and uh, not exactly for the school. But uh, I still got it here probably sh- uh, displaying it on my shelf. So, you know, I'd like to say thanks for that. And, um, and if you, you guys want to throw in something. You know what I particularly love about that? is it's the sci-fi tech talk and we just spent roughly an hour talking about the science of the future and what do we have to show for it but leather an ancient traditional handcraft art to to commemorate our science fiction of the future love it um well and if you know if nobody else has anything to, to contribute there um we'll um wrap up this episode of sci-fi tech talk you can check us out at sci-fi tech talk.com where we there are some cool space junk available unfortunately not flasks people. actually if you want some flask give me a holler contact us at sci-fi tech talk at gmail.com and we will make arrangements okay though well, that just sounds cool um or you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have any ideas or comments, please send them to Sci-Fi Tech Talk at gmail.com. And reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Jeff, where can people find you? People can follow me on Twitter at Bronco Sire, S-Y-E-R. And Julie, where can people uh, see all the many things that you're up to? I also can be found on Twitter at Julie Keel. J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L and links to the other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I might have going on, which I probably need to check myself because I'm not sure what I've got going on anymore, um, is over at about.me slash Julie Keel. And I can be found at DSC Chipman on Twitter, and I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak, that's M-C-P-E-E-K. And that's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. Questions matter. Questions matter. It's the sci-fi tech talk. Questions matter.